0: Stop and stop. Small dose. self help from the hip. Small dose. we're talking that shit. Small doses, and keeping it real. Small dose. with me and Nene seals. It's so funky. So, today on Small Doses, we continue our artist series. I am just giddy because I feel like being. Somewhat famous is annoying, but the perks are that I get to talk to people that I really, (laughs) really like respect and that are just incredible at what they do. And uh, one of those people is Miss Bisa Butler. You know, I was exposed to your work through a book that my mom got me of your portraits. And Mm -hmm. I got to tell you, like... I was taken already just because I love color. Like, I'm from the Caribbean mm. and color is just my jam. Like, so your Absolutely. whole setup, your whole Zoom setup right now is just <laughs> like, yeah, this is the, you see what's going on. Look at all the color on this Zoom, right? I'm all about color. It's <laughs> insane all
1: the time.
0: So I was already just like blown away by that. And then I love pattern. I love yes. pattern. Same.
1: But then
0: when it was brought to my attention, which is basically like the tagline for all your pieces. There is no paint involved in the making of this piece. That's when I was like, oh, oh, we're dealing with a whole other level of brilliance that this, I mean, you got like direct line from the ancestors level brilliance.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You got something tapped in, Disa, tapped in. Something is definitely tapped in. I'm an old soul anyway, so. So I'd love to just talk first about how did you
0: even discover this medium, right? Because there's quilt, and then there's what Bisa yes. Butler does. There's quilt, well, and then there's what Bisa Butler does. Because Faith Ringgold is Faith Ringgold. She's the queen. She's the queen. Yes. And you, it's it's one of those crouching tiger, hidden dragon moments where it's <laughs> like, the student has become the teacher. You know, where it's like, there's a continuation <laughs> Where you're able to utilize the, what I see is I feel like you're able to utilize the genius that has come before you and then be able to expand upon it with your own.
1: Exactly. It's the lineage of women's work, women's genius, the need of women to express themselves and also to take care of their families. Like, I mean, initially quilting started to keep us warm. Right. You know, and then people started making it creative. So I definitely like feel that lineage coming through me. like I'm glad you mentioned Faith Wrangled and the OG quilters from G's Bend. Um, like since we were brought here, yep, we had to provide for our families and provide for the whole community with what we had. And the remarkable part about us is that we're always so creative. We're always these we find genius a way. moms, right? The thing is, we did it out of necessity, but we also have that ancestral lineage. So enslaved people, they weren't just like ignorantly sewing scraps. like They had heritage and lessons that were taught to them in Africa. And so the way they put together fabric looked very different than the way European people did. And I feel like my quilts are just an extension of that from Africa to the plantations to us, you know, in the Jim Crow era, still like struggling but doing our best. And that's how I started making quilts. I couldn't afford expensive quilt fabric, which was all cotton and mostly pastels and had like little saw flowers, like gingham, gingham, that's how you say the word. I couldn't (laughs) afford that. I was a student. And so I used my mother, the dressmaker's scraps, which is why my quilts look like they do now with silk and lace and velvet, but those are dressmaker's fabric.
0: I mean, well, let me just side note that, you know, the, the old heads in the Harlem Renaissance, they was really shading quilting. Oh, Yeah. What was that about? Was, do you feel like it was just some patriarchal shit?
1: Mm, yes, because I did hear... What was the artist? Oh, Romare gosh.
0: Bearden. Romare Bearden shaded Romare the Bearden. shit out of Faith Ringgold.
1: Yeah, right. He told <laughs> her she couldn't be in Spiral or whatever. In their, the like, click, The <laughs> art group. <laughs> and she tried what. at once. So he was like, nah. Nah. Uh-uh.
0: But you know what? He is my favorite visual artist. Yes. and. He worked in collage, and I think he was, like, hating that she had managed to do what he was doing with a whole other medium. And it was like, how are you going to out-innovate
1: me? Right. I mean, the the egos are going to be big, and there's a male ego that's a whole other animal. And then in Romare's time, in their time, those are the OGs, some Black people still, I don't know, were they still sharecroppers? I think so, when he was born. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Still sharecroppers. Or maybe they still are to this day. I was going to say they're still sharecroppers. (laughs) Okay. So I think they wanted to get far away from things that represented the plantation. Mm. And so quilts were not considered a fine art. Like They wanted to do their own thing related to European arts, but they also wanted to be like, we can do everything you do, but better in our way.
0: And they were like in the city... You know, right?
1: They're in He was in well, Harlem.
0: Yeah.
1: Quilts, that's like something grandma made on the plantation. Mm. And that's something some of he and people in his age group, they might have worked on those plantations with their grandparents. Yeah. So you don't want those memories of the struggle, of those cold nights. I think my brother in law's father. Was from North Carolina, and I think he must have been born in late 20s. And he said okay. they had no heat in the house. So when he talks about his childhood, I just can't imagine no heat. Like how cold was it? And that <sighs> may be a thing that they just don't like to think about and don't want it's to think about It's
0: like a PTSD. To...
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: You can learn more about this, by the way, in the HBO. There's a documentary on HBO called Black Art in the Absence of Light.
1: I love that documentary. I was so salty that I wasn't in it. <laughs> <laughs> I was salty. Y'all can call me. I'm reachable. Carrie <laughs> James Marshall walks through the, like lobby or grand staircase at the Art Institute of Chicago, exactly where my work would be like the next year. So I'm I'm realizing that there's a timeline (laughs) issue here, but I couldn't help but be like, what? (laughs) No, <laughs> I love that no. you felt
0: that way because i have be watching certain shit. I'm like, y'all can call me. How y'all going to do this and not call me? I feel I mean, the same way. I was on the scene, dot. but
1: that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> but that's,
0: whatever. they gonna, When they do part two, they're going to call you. They're going to call you. Yes. When they do art in the right. absence of pastels, they going to call you. Boom. <laughs> like, <There> it is. <laughs> so tell me about like, how did art begin for you? You know, was it something that you were always as a kid playing around and doodling, you know, or Mm -hmm. did you and did you have a sewing machine like early or, you know, was it accidental? I'm just curious, like, when did art become a part of your experience?
1: Art was a part of my experience as far as I can remember. I like most little kids in preschool, the coloring and those coloring books. I don't know if you remember those coloring books that had little dots and you have oh, a yeah. brush and you that you dip a, in the water. Yep. And it, like, it turns into paint. The paint, paint. Yep. Yes. So I had those just like every other kid. But the difference was that I stuck with it. And because I felt like, well, people used to always tell me that my drawings were really good. I don't know <laughs> if they were. <laughs> And when you say people, do you mean like your
0: family, like was it was everybody in on it?
1: I felt like it was everybody. Like in my little kid mind, everybody. My my teachers, my parents, my grandparents, my little friends. Like and my mother was a total 70s mom. She let me draw these figures on the wall of my room. And at first she was upset. Why did you write on the wall? And then I told her, "Well, these are my guardian angels because oh, I wow. was afraid to sleep." <laughs> in my bed alone. So I drew these like huge headed, you know how little kids draw? Yep. It's a big head and just <laughs> arms and legs sticking out like no bodies. And she let me basically do this life-size mural because they were as big as I was on the wall. And my sister talks about that, like you were so spoiled, but I felt supported <laughs> and yeah. sane. I was
0: bored... Like I was a latchkey kid and my mom was working jobs. And I remember like one weekend I just was overcome (laughs) with creativity (laughs) and I painted, we had like a glass like lamp in the kitchen, like over the table. Yeah. And I just decided I was going to paint that lamp. Oh, I painted no. sunflowers on that lamp. <laughs> no, you didn't. And then I looked at the window and I was like, I got to hit that window. Oh. And then I started painting the window. I painted the window. And then mm. I went to the drawers, like Wait the cabinets, a and I painted the first one. And I was like, chill, 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 chill. <laughs> and my mom came home and mm. I was like... I like was in my room because I didn't want to be there for the the for explosion, the <laughs> right? <laughs> for the unveiling, yes. <laughs> and I heard her go, "Mans, what happened in here?" And I just like <laughs> waited, like, "What's gonna happen next?" And yeah. then she came in and she's like, "You know, I actually I, like I like it." You know, that <laughs> was that's like, so sweet. I Success. was very,
1: I was like, "Okay." She was you like, "You took yeah. the risk, and it paid off." Oh. <laughs>
0: But I feel like that, like, is such a turning point for so many artists. Like, that moment where, like, the art overcame you and then a, a parent yep. or somebody in your life that, like, matters, you Yes.
1: Know? They validate you. Yes. You know, maybe get me more supplies, maybe big paper, <laughs> like, <laughs> other things. But that matters a lot when it starts at home. Just saying, like, I believe in you. This is good. So you said your mom was a dressmaker? She was a seamstress? She wasn't a seamstress by trade, but by desire. She just loved fashionable clothes. And she loved like Oscar de la Renta and Yves Saint Laurent. All my mom and my aunts all would look at like the old Vogue's and Elle magazines and Ebony's and pick out fashions and then just recreate them. So I grew up with that. I see that in your work. Like you have,
0: because when you're talking to portrait artists, it's always like, okay, what are the types of portraits that they're attracted to? And you have so many portraits of just fly ass women.
1: Yes. Yes. I mean, the whole Naomi Sims and the old school black models, Iman, I mean, she's still gorgeous as ever. Who are the ones we used to see in the 90s? It would be like Roshamba. And um, Beverly Peel. Beverly,
0: I was gonna say Beverly Peel. I mean, yes. and of course, the infamous Miss Naomi Campbell. I mean, Naomi Campbell,
1: was... Tyra Banks, all of them. Were Alec like... Weck
0: follows me on Instagram, by the wow.
1: way. Wow. <laughs> she commented the other day and I was like, screaming! <laughs> she broke down so many barriers for dark skinned women, like African women or women who have African features Feature. who look obviously African. <laughs> So,
0: right. It's not, by the way, African. It's like, no, no this is the motherland like, on this one yes, way.
1: Yes. She's just gorgeous. She's like the original woman. Whatever we looked that like way back in the day, I feel like we looked like her.
0: So where are you from?
1: I am from New Jersey, Orange, New Jersey, but my father's from Ghana and my mother's from New Orleans. Oh, you got flavor. You were, you're just a <laughs> little living some, gumbo. We got some gumbo foo-foo <laughs> yeah. going on, mixing with the Jersey Shore. Like.
0: <laughs> so how did quilting make its way into your Jersey Shore experience?
1: Quilting came to me through school. Like I was a teacher for 13 years, high school art teacher. And my okay, mother wait, was... Okay, wait, stop. A- Put a pin. Nope.
0: no no. rewind because see this what happens this is what happens people say something and i'm like oh wait 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 we can't even get to there (laughs) how did you become an arts because you see choosing to be a teacher versus the art like making the living through the art that's
1: a path very different so how
0: did you end up on the teaching path
1: the teaching path you know most of my professors at howard were all like oh
0: you're a bison
1: a bison Yes. And those Black professors were famous artists at the right. same time. So I always thought that that was the way. Like I read that Romare Bearden worked at, I think it was Food Stamps or Dyfus, one of them. And then he did his art. Elizabeth Catlett was a professor. Uh, Lois Jones was a professor. That's just been the way. Most mm-hmm. of the Black artists that I looked up to didn't have the luxury of like just art. So when you're in school for art they're like, "Well, how are you going to make money?" Right. And my parents right. be, "What's it going to be?" My father was a college president, my mother was a high school French teacher. Mm-hmm. And they were like, "What are you going to do to provide for yourself?" So I was I'll like, so okay. your father
0: is an immigrant. Immigrant parents yeah. are not here for just like, oh, I'm going to figure it out. Oh, no. Like no 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 no
1: no. No no no, that was that was never a part of the thing. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have a job and then you can figure it out but while you have your job. Yeah. And then they were always pushing like they found education was a way to help them out of their life circumstances. So, how can I make a living? Go to school? And then get your degree, then you teach. And I also enjoyed teaching. I had a small child. How old was she when I started? Five. And then my youngest was like two. So I thought I had to think of what could I do that I could be home with them and home all summer and home at three o'clock. So teaching was like the perfect bridge. I can do art all day with my students. I can come home and do my mom thing, and then I can do more art on my own. And I did that for years until finally it was just like the two things didn't match anymore because I wanted to do this big art festival in Miami. I wanted to go to Art Basel. The Basel. And it was the end of the school year. Oh, it was Basel, Switzerland, which I think is in June.
0: Oh, okay.
1: And that was also time for graduation. And all my seniors are always in the room. Like, they rely on me a lot. I would be altering prom dresses. I remember one girl had this prom dress. It must have been like a size 14. But she's a high school kid. She was like a size 2. <laughs> it was ridiculous. That's two dresses. It was, and I had to cut the entire dress down. And it had the nerve to have boning in it and everything <laughs> to get this dress to fit this little teeny tiny girl. So you
0: know how to alter, yeah? Because that's a whole skill in itself.
1: That's what I didn't like doing stuff like that, but I felt obligated, like because I knew that they didn't have anybody else to yeah. do it. This wasn't a wealthy school district. They would have a special salon where they would um, open like a, an empty office, and there would be dresses that were donated in there. I forget the program, and the girls could pick a dress; it would be free. Well but you have to make that dress work if it doesn't fit you. Okay. So they relied on me heavily and I was like, oh, but I can't. I had to decide. I was like, okay, so I really want to do art. I want to be a full-time artist. I always wanted to do this. But at the same time, my students, I can't give them half of me. I can't tell them I'm going to be gone for a week and that's graduation week and prom, but I'll see you in September. And one of my good friends just called me and she was like, Bisa, you can't serve two gods. Mm. Like, what is it that you want to do? And the only way I could like let it go, I was like, well, I've done my duty to these kids.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's 13 years. It doesn't have to be my whole life.
0: 13 is solid. I
1: mean, that's a big. <laughs> that's solid, <laughs> you know? That's over a decade. So that's when I decided, okay, I'll I'll leave teaching and go full time.
0: But what do you think was the turning point that even made you confident that you could go full time? Because there's always some catalyst that either lets you know, like, oh, I actually could make money off of this or that encourages you in a way where you're like, I have to at least try or else I'm going to feel regret forever.
1: That's what it was. Like, well, I had gone to Art Basel, Miami, that you mentioned, and I think I had six pieces and they didn't all sell right away. I think I sold like maybe two and then over a few months, the rest of them sold and the response was so good. And I was like, okay, well, this is a thing. Like I could make money off this. And the other thing was that I had lost my mother young. She, she passed young and suddenly. And so I always had that in my mind. I can't wait until I retire because not everybody gets to retire. There was a teacher in our school. She was a librarian. And one day she didn't come into work and, um, and they just counted as an absent. Then the next day she didn't come. And the school secretary who was like really on it, she was a sister. She was like, that's not like her. That's not right. So she called, the woman lived alone, the librarian. So she called the police to do like a welfare check. Mm-hmm. Right. Welfare check. Yeah. And, and they they had to break down the door. She had passed in her sleep. Wow. And our principal, he was a really good principal. But they had like I wasn't even five minutes, maybe, maybe two minutes um, moment of silence on the PA the next morning. And that was it. It was like, boom. And then they found a new library. I was going to say,
0: then they got a new librarian. That just was
1: that. like that. It's just like scheduling another flight. Just change the flight. And I was like, am I going to pass up this opportunity to try when if something happens to me, it'll just be that I woulda, shoulda, coulda, but never did. And so I felt like I think I was 40 that year, 41. And I was like, I'm not I'm not gonna wait until I retirement. knew it! I knew I knew it was a 40 decision. <laughs> I fucking knew it. Yes. Something about
0: turning 40 is yes. like, girl, you're 40. You got to try. You got to try. I knew it. <laughs> you're I'm right. developing an entire show around this concept of wow. reaching 40 and being like, you know what? The premise is 40 used to mean over the hill. Now it means over the bullshit.
1: Yes. It's like. My brother had, he used to sell, um, like, he was a hustle man. He used to sell stuff. He was a vet. He used to sell cologne, fur coats, like whatever it is, sunglasses. And he had, oh my God, I have to send it to you after, but he had a sale and he had made like this poster and it said the Tired of the bullshit sale. <laughs> and he put that up and it was just like everything was like, <laughs> everything went. Deep discount. Tired of the bullshit. I love
0: it. Damn, I be knowing. <laughs> yes. Okay, so you made this... I mean, I'm even just intrigued on how you got an exhibit at Basel because I think Mm -hmm. a lot of us... A lot of folks who are in the transition of, like, creating and committing to selling their art don't even know, like, how do you go from I'm doing this for myself to, like, getting it in places to be seen, you know? Like, it's not as laid out. Like, for instance, like, for stand-up comedy... It was like when I decided I wanted to try stand up, it was like, okay, but how do you like get on stage? And I and I never knew until I was in the mix that it really all weighed on hanging out.
1: I was just about (laughs) to say that everything I've ever gotten in life, the main catalyst for me has been word of mouth Mm -hmm. and mostly the word of women, black women and white women. All kinds of women, though. I have like people who follow me from New Zealand. I don't think they're black nor white. Different ethnicities who say, hey, you should look at this thing. And women were so powerful because they will be the mothers like your mother gave you that book. Mm-hmm. And then there'll be these huge CEOs or whatever. Big, big money. People will be like, well, my mom sent me here. My mother couldn't come. She's somewhere in the Midwest. It's COVID time. She can't travel. But she made me come here to take these pictures. (laughs) And she told me to get something. So that's happened to me multiple times. I had a photo shoot at Time Magazine. And the president came down to the shoot and was like, there was no reason for him to be there. And he was like, my wife sent me (laughs) 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 to meet you. I I was sent. (laughs) I was sent. And so that word of mouth through women has been the thing that helped me. And then also I exhibited everywhere. I didn't say no to anything. Ah. I exhibited in church lobbies, my, on front lawns. One time I had like these easels on a front lawn in Martha's Vineyard. And they just kept falling over into the grass. <laughs> like there was nothing that I would not at a school I'm event.
0: that situation right now. But... That was crazy. <laughs>
1: It was a tall grass.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen, there's nothing glamorous about trying to get people to see your work.
1: Right. Like, and so word of mouth Then somebody would say, well, I saw this artist and I think her work is good and have, And you, I would get like in a small gallery. And then mm. I was supported by Black art galleries across the country Dope. who had been there for years. These galleries were like, some of them. Represented like Charles White and Jacob Lawrence when they were alive, Norman Lewis, and these OGs. Like, there's a gallery, um, Stella Jones in New Orleans. She knows everybody. She's still doing it. And I got a call from Stella Jones. Like, somebody told me about your artwork. Why don't you send me a couple pieces? And that's how it went. I ended up at Art Basel because it was a Howard University like alumni show, and A gallerist came in there from New York and was like, who is this artist? And then called me and was like, I'd like to come see your stuff. And then she looked at my stuff and was like, oh, I'd like to see how you do at Art Basel. But it's always been like that, like just word of mouth. And then me just trying everything. I don't think I said, I said yes so many times and played myself so many times. (laughs) Tell me a time when you played yourself. (laughs) Oh my gosh. What did this gallery do? It was a show in Atlanta. And it was a Black Arts Festival, which was really popular in like 2000. Yeah. And I flew down. I had, My quilts were easy. I roll them up, put them in my bag. And this gallery said that I could hang, I think, four pieces. So I hanged my four pieces. And then David Driscoll came through from Black Art in the Absence of Light. Yeah. He came through and he looked at everybody's work. And mine didn't sell that time. So they said, you know what, let's hold it for a little bit more. And I had to go back to school. It was yeah. like a Sunday. So we flew home, me and my husband and my daughters. And then I would call up the gallery every now and then, like, how's the work doing? What's the response? They're like, mm, you know, it's a little slow, but you know, let's let's hold it for a little more. Let's see what happens. And then I got a call from Vanderbilt University. The the gallerist there was like, we saw your work. And we'd like to go see it, but we're going to be traveling. We're in the South. And I was like, oh, well, I have this show in Atlanta. If you happen to be in the Georgia area, you can go see it. And they went, they were like on a road trip. Maybe they were collecting black art. I don't know. And they get there and there's like, there's none of your art here. I
0: knew you were (laughs) going to say
1: this. (laughs) No art. And then so. I'm on the phone with the gallerist's assistant and she's like looking in the back. She's like, you know, I just can't find it, Bisa. This is the strangest thing. And then I get a call like the next day. They say, you know, we must have sold it and we forgot to call you. You forgot? We're so sorry. It's been hectic. As a matter of fact, you know, things are really tough right now. And if you could just be patient, because we must have spent that money on our rent and we'll get it to you. We are Christian people. Yes, we are Christian people. Please don't like, you know, this is nothing ill that meant to happen. We will get you this money. I was so broke at that time. I had two little kids. My husband worked full time. I worked full time. But we were the working poor. Just paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. And they never sent me anything, nothing. The pieces were gone. Never. So sold you don't know them. who
0: bought the pieces?
1: No, they know who bought them, but they didn't really disappear. They sold them, and then you know the that money. we
0: could find out who bought those pieces, right?
1: I'm sure they're floating in this world. They've got to be. Somebody spent money on them, so they're gonna hold on to it.
0: I'm telling you. These internets, the way these internets work, <laughs> I know. Be bullet. If we put them pictures up, we would know within 48 hours. There ain't never been information I've sought out no. on this internet that I did not get an answer to.
1: I'm mad for you. <laughs> I've had artwork disappear off sets. Off sets? When, when the show wraps. I don't know. Where did it go? I'm sorry, girl. Don't. know. It can't. Must Must have just walked somewhere. just
0: got up and walked away
1: must these are the years when i didn't have any kind of lawyer could not afford right. a lawyer i couldn't afford to go down to atlanta in small claims court right and um off the set i just didn't have it i didn't i would sign stuff and not even know what i'm signing it, it just it was because you're just trying wild to create <laughs> it was
0: the wild west
1: you're just trying. You're trying, but you don't know. I wasn't in the art business. I'm just an art teacher. I didn't understand. Do you
0: feel like you understand the art business now?
1: Much better. Because I was no. like,
0: I feel like I'm learning show business every day, <laughs> yeah. and I've been yeah. in the Screen Actors Guild since I was eight, and I am still <laughs> well, learning show yeah, business every I'm day. I'm still
1: learning. There's so many twists and turns, and so many people are different. It's all personality based. Mm. You know, some people have these handshake deals, and they're just really good and honest people. And then some people, you have an ironclad contract, and they will still break it.
0: (laughs) That's what always blows my head. Like we have a con, like contracts are literally pieces of paper. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, if someone breaches it, it's on
1: you. Yeah. Do you want to prove it? Yeah. Do you have evidence of that? Do you want to take them to court? It's just. Yeah. So I've been learning just a lot more lately to really just take people. And have those conversations, to see how do I really feel about mm-hmm. this person, and try to be still within myself to try to suss out like, is this person legit. really honest and legit? And are they saying what it is or not? So,
0: for me, like, I love music, yeah. and there was a point in time where I was pursuing music commercially, mm-hmm. but it was the business of that started Mm -hmm. making me hate music. Mm -hmm. And so I had to stop because I was like, the business of this is ruining the joy. Yes. Yes. How did you manage to retain your joy in the midst of these types of really disheartening experiences at the hands of business?
1: I think really the good always outweighed the bad. Always. It feels so good to have somebody say, I like what you made. Some scraps of dress leftover that I made into a portrait. And somebody says that this is really cool. Like that means a lot. And then there would always be, it felt like quilting is like the circle of women. And I would get invited to do workshops at quilt guilds. But I'm not an old school quilter or traditional quilter where their work to me is very meticulous and precise with these corners and the edges things have to be measured just so and they would be so kind to me and invite me to show them how to make a portrait and I would have like a a pattern and sometimes I would try to pick a portrait based on where we were when I went to Michigan to Detroit I think I had Aretha Franklin drawing that I made it like a pattern so kind of like a paint by numbers everybody got this pattern and then I would like help them pick out what fabrics and talk about using different textures it was fun but those were such like healing bombs for me because those women would like the average age first of all for the quilters was maybe about 70 average So they would be like, "Come on, baby, like let me help you. <laughs> let me show you how to do this." And they would always have really good food because when the quilts guilds meet, the coconut cake is in position. <laughs> and then when I went to Philly, it was like the vegan vegetarian vibe vibe where all the food was like homemade soul food, vegan food, Ooh. and I just felt so nurtured and cared for in those sessions and in those settings that that really balanced off other Any people of the, the, the haters you know or people just trying to take advantage because even when they do take advantage after that you never mess with them again over, right so they've cut that off but i'm still flowing
0: you hear that y'all that was a gem drop right there <laughs> i'm still flowing <laughs> i'm still flowing. <laughs> I'm still flowing. So you combine all different types of fabric. I mean, there's a lot of Ankara. And when I went to Makola, am I pronouncing it right? Makola Market in in Ghana. Oh, Ghana, Ghana.
1: Ghana. It's like the main market in Accra. I think it's Makola Market in Accra. I was
0: just like, I love the fabrics that are zany, you know, yes. that just have like some weird shit going on. Yes. Me <laughs> too. And you do too. <laughs> like when I look at these pieces, I'm just like, yo, she chose some of the wildest fabrics. Like there was yes. one where like the fabric had like clocks on it, you know? Yes. And so how do you choose fabrics? I know you mentioned just now that you had done like a the paint by numbers and there's different textures, but how do you choose your fabrics? Do you choose them as you go? Is it like mm-hmm. you see a fabric and you're inspired? and that like How does that all come together?
1: It's usually as I go, but I'll go fabric shopping, just like you said, and just buy everything that I like with no rhyme or reason. I'm like, oh, I could use that for something, but I don't have that thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. But if it's wild, and, and I grew up in the 70s and 80s, so... I remember the whole fluorescent phase first off so that's like imprinted on me and then in the 70s the patterns and then my my African side of the family I'm always surrounded by African print so I'm looking for things that just attract me and then I like to have a lot of it so that when I'm working I can just choose and if I'm doing like you mentioned like the clocks if I'm making a portrait of someone, and I want to say something specific, mm. like, um, I don't know, but if I'm thinking about someone of days gone by, then maybe I'll slip that clock pattern in there. Or or sometimes the fabric has meaning in Africa, like this, this fabric with fans on it. And that fan fabric, if you have it, if you have a fan in your stall in the marketplace, First of all, you have more money because you're able to wire it in, the electricity to your stand. And then people are going to spend more time in your booth because it's the only cool spot in that really hot marketplace. So they're making more money. So that fan represents economic prosperity and wealth. So I'll use a pattern like that to be like this person has wealth. But the only people who will get it are probably the people who are familiar with African fabrics. And I like that I can speak to us. Yes, there it is. Like her airplanes. That I have that fabric. Photo. You have that fabric. I have it. And they don't sell it anymore. I got pants made of this fabric. I love that fabric. And they only sell it for a short period of time. And they may not sell it for another few years. That's how those companies rotate it. Because then it makes a demand even higher. You just have to wait or you don't. You right. just don't have it. And those prints, some of them have been around for years and years. Like, I was reading up on these African prints. Some of them were designed in the 1920s, but they just renew them again. See, that's
0: the thing. Like, when it comes to textiles, everything in Africa, I feel like it... A lot, like, in America, like, textiles will like get made because, like, oh, a lot of people bought that one. So, you mm-hmm. know, we're going to make that. But... You know, when it comes to, like, quote, unquote, African print, a lot of folks don't understand, like, to your point, that, like, mm-hmm. there's certain messaging that certain prints say about, like, only upper exactly. echelon parts of the community can afford this or or can wear yeah. this or only mothers
1: yeah. can wear this. Right. We wear all of it. We love it without realizing you might be wearing a fabric that there was one I was looking at the other day. It's really pretty. It looks like a sun and has palm trees. For whatever reason, African women call that one grotto, which indicates that you have a big heavy set, shall I say, big guy with a lot of money.
0: Oh, you okay. You got the brick man.
1: You got the brick man. I mean, we could wear it still and you can like that pattern, but an African woman might be looking at like, look at her rocking that grotto pattern. (laughs) (laughs) She got a sugar daddy. (laughs) She better have herself a big man. Oh my God, really? Like we are too much. There's another fabric, Janito, that rep, when you wear it, you're saying that you have a young lover. He's younger than you. Ooh. I'm, I'm really liking that. <laughs> I'm really liking that. Like I've got this young guy. Yep. And you can tell by my dress. <laughs> by my dress. <laughs> yes.
0: Don't look at him. Look at me and you'll know. You'll right. know what's that. So when it comes to choosing your subjects, How do you go about the process of deciding, like, on your subject? Is it just, like, sourcing photos? Do you take the photos? Like, how does that process work?
1: Mostly I'm looking through the National Archives. And then some people now, which is lovely, though, but some people just tag me and they're like, basically, you should see this. And it'll be in some, like, university archive, University of Virginia or something like that. And the photos will just be amazing. I'm just looking for that recognition, that thing that grabs you. I don't know what it is exactly, but I know when I see it that I feel connected to this photo and I feel like I'm interested in this person. And then my father pointed out to me, he was like, you know, every time you do a family portrait or anybody's family portrait, you always have two girls and a boy, which is exactly the order of my family, two girls and a boy. I was like, ah. Because we're always recreating like that story. You ever see those artists who every portrait they make looks just like them? <laughs> yes. It's like, Malcolm and Martin look just like you. So does Jesus. <laughs> they got the same look. So does yes. Jesus. <laughs> they all look the same. I felt like I always tried not to do that. But it still comes out. There's, it's, You're recreating what you know. So right. the people I'm drawn to and then i started thinking about it like my closeness with my father and then i didn't get to know my grandfather he had passed but those things like keep repeating themselves in my artwork older black men gentlemen my father was a college president so like this idea of like the black intellectual yes and then the women in new orleans the way They wore their hats and their gloves and everything had to be just so. But not just New Orleans, it seems, as I started doing my research, like that thread just runs through us all the way back to Africa. Like we like to look good, really good. And so when I see that, it's like that recognition. I'm like, yes, I have to do that.
0: So once you decided like, all right, I'm going to make a go of it.
1: Yeah.
0: How long was it from... I'm going to make a go of it to oh I'm I like I'm doing it. How long did it take to change your circumstances through your art?
1: Well, first I want to say that teachers are so horrendously underpaid. It's disgusting. That I only needed to be out I think 6 months and I was already now nah, I wasn't like popular like now, but I was already making more money than I made as a teacher. And I had been teaching all those years. So it wasn't like I was I needed to make a lot of money to say right. that I can make a go of it. I only needed to make a little bit and mm-hmm. it was still more than when I was teaching. Wow. So I think it wasn't like I was turning away from this huge financially rewarding career. And then the other thing with teaching was that I knew I had my teaching certification. And I could go back. My father wanted me to take a sabbatical. And I was like, no, I'm not doing that. Because you can't have something to fall back on. Right. I was like, I'm not taking a sabbatical. Dad. And I didn't think it was fair. Like, I thought about my students. We have a sabbatical. They have a sub for the year. And then they think that you're coming back. So the whole time they're communicating with you. And when are you coming back, Miss B? And I can't wait. And I'm not going to do that to them. And at the end, like, psych. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't coming back. (laughs) I'm not doing that. So I left altogether, but it didn't take very long because you don't have to make a lot of money and you make more than a teacher. So maybe six months, something like that. And then um, I'm married, so I wasn't on my own. My husband was worried. I remember that. So we went to see like a financial planner and the planner just, like, looked at everything. You know, they put everything in graphs. And then he was like, you're actually not taking a risk at all. He's like, it seems like a risk. You-. He's like, the way, <laughs> based on the sales that you made, those little, I think I sold, like, three pieces at, at ArtBot, based on, and they were not expensive, let me just say. But based on that, if this is a trajectory that you stay on, you're not taking any risk at all. He showed my husband, like, the graph. He was like, you're right here. So-. <laughs> Go for it. Go. <laughs> this, is, this is my sound financial advice to you. Go for it. You're not losing anything.
0: So there's, it's just, there's so many, there was like so many forces at work just pushing you to say, it's time.
1: It's time. Just, just try it. Um, people who go for it younger, good for them. Like, I'm, um, you know, I think that everything happens in the way that it should. Mm-hmm. Like, teaching taught me to be really patient. So that goes for time too, because it wasn't that 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 first six months people were just seeing my art. I had been showing my art all along with black galleries and in black spaces. So I still had that groundswell of support. And when I would have exhibits, um, white audiences who were unfamiliar with me would be like, "Oh, I like this." Plus, the exhibit would be full because of all of my supporters. From the Black galleries. it even
0: looks like you popping.
1: Right. It's like, wow, she came out of nowhere and all of these people are fine. I'm like, no, this is 20 years of exhibiting my artwork. Yeah. Right. So it really wasn't overnight. But then there were a lot of articles that came out, like Bisa Butler, um, new artist Bisa Butler pops (laughs) on the scene. I was like, wow. Because the disrespect to all of the entities that supported me it was like y'all don't matter you're new because you just became new to us and the rest wasn't
0: ain't that something
1: yeah you're new because
0: the whites just found out about you
1: yeah the yeah. mainstream
0: mm-hmm. well I think that it is very frustrating because that dynamic is everywhere, right mm-hmm. like I mean, I feel like I've experienced something similar, you know, just like I've been grinding forever. But then it's like, now you're on HBO, though. So now <laughs> it's, you now matter. You it's have like matter. It's like, yeah, but I was doing spoken word and selling. I mean, I, listen, because I, I tried my hand at, at painting and like selling things. And
1: mm-hmm.
0: I mean, I'm like setting up tables and, you know, on the street and trying. Yes. it's like 26 know degrees. Days. I'm like, yes. ain't nobody gonna stop and buy this. You know, like, but somebody trying.
1: does though sometimes, even if it's just that one person.
0: I was painting in the club, Bisa. I was painting wow. in the club, like live
1: painting. Yes, wow. <laughs> I was painting in the club. That takes a lot of bravery because people are right there over your shoulder. <laughs> They're like, okay, I see yellow. I like the yellow. Dun, 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 dun.
0: <laughs> like, I remember I was dating this painter. And he had invited me to come paint. and So I was like, oh my God, okay, you know. And he was like very, he was much more established as like, Mm -hmm. he is a painter. I was someone who can paint. And so we set up our easels and we're both painting. And at the end of the night, girl, somebody bought my painting.
1: Yes, that
0: yes. nigga was so mad, Bisa Butler. He oh, was no. so tight. But wait, did somebody buy his too? No. Oh, oh. But like he sells pieces all the time. Like this was right. like he was so the ego mad. <laughs> could not handle it. He was like, yeah, um, you you good to take the train? No girl
1: he that sent me home so
0: hateful but I was I was like I'm gonna take a cab because I got right. the money for the <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I'm good oh I got this little 350 dollars I'm rich right now I'm for rich real. bitch listen Those are the
1: moments
0: so last question before we get into the the script how does it feel though to now be a name amongst the, the canon because, mm-hmm. and let me just say this. So when, when Amy Sherald was on, she had said something that just continues to resonate with me. And she said that she reached a point where she had to ask herself, what is it that you bring as a black artist to the canon? Cause nice. she was like, up until then I was just painting. Mm-hmm. And then I had to like ask myself, okay, but what is it that you're actually contributing that yeah. is different than what's already here?
1: Yeah, yeah. What do
0: you consider that to be for yourself?
1: I don't know if what I'm doing is so different because of that long legacy of the quilters. But what I am doing is saying that we belong here, too. Mm. There's no way in the world that the art of women, of Black women, should be not in the canon because it's not high art. And like that's definitely a sexist and, and racist and hmm it's the work of women traditionally so not respected and then if a lot of black women do it not respected and I feel like I some people like the other quilters write me often and I'm in different groups with them and they'll just be like you know we're happy to see you where you are because I'm one of them mm-hmm. and so I'm representing this horde of dope ass women quilt artists who want to be in in this art game as well so I think that I don't know if it's something new but maybe I'm reminding people too like your grandmothers and your great aunties they had something something special and you need to pay attention to that don't walk away from it or be embarrassed of it
0: well and I love that it When you said, like, it's fine art, because I think it can be belittled to crafting. Yeah. You know, like this idea that it's just, it's the hobby work of mothers Mm -hmm. at home. Mm
1: Because even crafting is fine arts in its own way, you know? If it was done by someone else who looked different (laughs) than me in a different setting, that would be the highest of the arts. Even if my quilts look just like the G's Ben quilts, you know?
0: The script. Your work is incredible on so many levels. And Thank in our you. segment, the script, we love to give folks just some added materials, added forms of inspiration to go along with our conversation. So are there any books or movies or just artists that you can suggest for our listeners to take a look at, to help them expand their knowledge of not only Bisa Butler, but of like the quilting world?
1: Yes. Well, there's, A lot of really great books written by Dr. Carolyn Maslumi. And she is like, I would say she's the quilt guru. She's a historian, former NASA scientist turned quilter who has been showing and exhibiting and giving a space for Black women quilters for at least 30 years. Oh, wow. Um, And I think, I'm not sure how many books she's written, maybe like 16. And the last name is Mazlumi, and she's amazing. Mazlumi. Uh, yeah, A- M-A-Z-L-O-O-M-I.
0: Okay, Caroline and, Mazlumi.
1: Yes, if you want to see something. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Are really impressive. And like when George Floyd passed, she petitioned the city and got these Black women quilters together and they made quilts in honor of him. And I think they had a big article in the New York Times, but she starts things like that, like, this is what we need to do. And this is what we're going to do. She had Mm -hmm. quilts for Obama. When Obama was inaugurated, the Smithsonian had a big exhibition curated by her. And they have books from that too, where like these quilters are coming together and making these political statements and humanitarian statements and I think um the books the the images are just really inspirational you see everything yeah At, you have abstract you have figurative you have that landscape like all of the types of art are all in cloth
0: I mean I'm about to buy all her books <laughs> I just did a quick search I'm about to have a whole Caroline Miss book fair damn all right so caroline misslummi anything else you want to suggest?
1: I guess that's it. I never really big up my own things because I can never remember them in time for any sort of announcement. Well, are there any
0: sources of, like you mentioned that you look through the National Archives. Yes. Um, How do people do
1: that? Oh, they can, I think um, just Google National Archives. I forget. And it has like classic just Black photography. I think what would be really cool too, which I love to look at is just the work of Black photographers. Mm-hmm. Like Gordon Parks exactly. and James Vanderzee and um and, gosh, there's a lot of African photographers like Malik Sidibe and Seydou Keita. But there's just these amazing, amazing photographers, Black photographers, Jamel Shabazz. I was like, about to say Jamel Shabazz! <laughs> I was about to say Kwame Braithwaite. Kwame Braithwaite. Like there's this legacy of us taking our own images and Deb Willis professor at an NYU and noted author and artist makes these archives of just black photographs from the Daruga type to like now. And I think she has at least 10 anthologies, but her books, she's Hank Willis Thomas's mother. Deb Deb Willis Mm -hmm. is, she's a G- (laughs) And anytime I'm looking for types of photos, lately, I've been looking for who are the people in the photos, Hmm. these unnamed people. And then, like you said, putting it online and I'm getting messages from people like that's my uncle. Yeah. That's my father. That's my grandfather. And Deb Willis would be one of those historians who like get with me like you need to talk to this person if you want to figure out who they are.
0: Do you follow on Instagram Black Archives? I do. Okay, I'm they obsessed be having, with them. Right? Yes. Like they be having cool. You know what I love about that page too is that I think for so many of us, like Black history stops at like 72. Yeah, and yeah. it's like it's 2022. Like right. 85 is Black history at this point. Absolutely. 92 is Black <laughs> history at this point. I yes, mean, my is. my production assistant was born in two thousand and one. <laughs> so like she hit us the other day with like, yeah, Y2K fashion. And we were like, what the fuck is Y2K fashion? <laughs> and she
1: oh my But it's history
0: to her. She's like, it's you know, history. you guys,
1: you guys were wearing. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> like it's history to them. When they say old school, a young girl told me a few days ago at the museum in Boston. She was like, I like old school music like genuine. <laughs> And I was like, wow.
0: <laughs> that makes me anxious. Oh, so <laughs> anxious. <laughs> Damn. That. You know what it is, also, because I feel like elders were old. Yeah. Like, you yeah. don't get, you know what I mean? Like, you don't give me old. Like, I don't give off old. I know. <laughs> you know, like, my friend was just telling me that. <laughs> She was like, you know, for my daughter's 21st birthday, like I got her bottles, you know, we got a table, like I was yeah. VIP. She was like, I was there. Yeah. She was like, you know, my mom asked me, like, she said that she did that for her daughter. And then her mother was like, what did I do for your 21st birthday? <laughs> and she was like, think you got me a card? And she's like, yes, because <laughs> we are not friends. Wow. <laughs> Very different. I'm your mother. We're not at the club together. Times have
1: changed. "Mm -hmm." I will say I was at the club with my daughter when she turned 21. (laughs) I was. But then I realized I was too old for that because a young guy, what did he do? Oh, he was sitting in her VIP and she was like, mommy, get him out of there. So I go up to him like, yeah, this is a private party, this little section. He was like, mm, I'm not moving. He's like, what you about to do about it, chocolate? Like, ah! You're like, am I wearing the Jericho prints? Like what? The disrespect. What you about to do about it, chocolate? Chocolate. I'm not moving. And I was like, damn, I'm too old for this.
0: That happened with me and Tyga at the BET Awards, by the way. Oh, no. (laughs) He was sitting in my seat. And when I tell you he would not move, he would not move. They were like, Miss Seals, we just want you to know Tyga is sitting in your seat.
1: It's so rude. he
0: will not move. And I was like, what do you mean he won't move? Why? And when I got to the seat, I was like, hey, I'm here. (laughs) And he was like, oh, well, you know, somebody's sitting in my seat. And I was like, no, those are seat fillers sitting in your seat. So if you let them know that that's your seat, they will move. Right. And he, and he was like, Yeah, well, you know what I'm saying? Like, you could sit there, but. No. And I was dressed in mm-hmm. like a peach chiffon. Like, I was very together, honey.
1: Yes, beautiful. But, baby,
0: <laughs> I. I... <laughs> I leaned down and I was like, "If you don't get the fuck up out this seat, it's about to be a motherfucking scene in here." And I know you don't want that to happen. <laughs> <At> <laughs> all. <laughs> when I said he got up, but you know when people get like do the thing, but they're talking shit while they do the thing. Like he got yeah. up, and he was like, still "I mean, talking. you ain't have to do all that." don't
1: sit in your seat. <laughs> so Why do I have to treat you like this? Why do we have to do this? This is not. Auntie vibes here. Just, just be respectful. Just be respectful. I did not want to have to scold you. No, (laughs) no, and slash scold slash threaten you (laughs) like you (laughs) deserve. Yes. His security guard didn't even do shit. His security guard was like, you know, know, this is how it goes. It It is what it is. It was taken care (laughs) of at that point. He was, he was good with it. Explanations.
0: So I would love to uh, do an episode of Explanations with you. Uh, okay. So we'll very quickly, you know, we'll run through some of your pieces and I would just love to get the story behind some of these pieces. So I <laughs> love Safety Patrol. Oh,
1: the Safety Patrol.
0: So can you please tell me about this piece and just like where this image came from and what's going on and all the good stuff.
1: Well this was uh it was taken from a photo by another black photographer, Charles Teeny Harris out of Pittsburgh. Okay. Char- Charles Harris was the man, or they called him Teeny Harris. They he co- they call him one shot Harris because he would come through, it'd be like he took all the photos in the black community. So if it was like a school picture or whatever, he'd come snap that one photo and he was out. They I saw a documentary like he didn't say they couldn't be like, What's up, Charles? Like, how you doing he's gone? Because he was going on to another event. Right. And this photo was these seven children, I think it's seven, who were standing at a corner and one of the kids was the school crossing guard and has his arms spread out. And all the other kids are behind his arm. I just love that this little boy has such power. Yes. He just has his arms. It's not like they can't push his arms, but they wouldn't dare. Because he is the crossing guard. He's safety patrol, Lisa. He is safety patrol, excuse me. <laughs> safety <laughs> patrol. He's got the hat on. He's got the glasses and his sash. So I replaced that with Kente, because I was like, he's a little African king. And I recently, speaking of latchkey kid, there's one little girl in there with a key on her. Do you see her? She's got like yes. red hair. Yeah. Her niece called me last week because (gasps) I put a query on Instagram. Do, does anybody know who these children are? And she wrote in, she was like, that's my aunt. Her name was Beverly Myers. And she was like the eldest in her family and their mom worked, but the parents were divorced. So she had the key. She had to get in and she would walk her brothers and sisters to and from school, but they went to different schools And she told me all these things about Beverly Myers. Like she had this red hair and freckles and she was super glamorous and beautiful and bought a big mansion in Pittsburgh in some area called Squirrel Hill. Okay. Beverly Myers. Yeah. Like in in an area where black people were not living and Beverly just, she sounded fabulous. I was like, well, what did Beverly do? And she was like, you know, I do not know. She was just that rich auntie. (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> Beverly was the brick man. Exactly. Yes, exactly.
0: Oh Beverly my God. was
1: was that, and it was so like fulfilling to just figure out what happened to her and to any of them.
0: Well, because you know these portraits are particularly the the colors that you use. There's a life in them. You know, it doesn't feel just like like I feel like when we see a lot of particularly like old European portraits. Mm-hmm. They don't really exude life, like they—they just look like a painting of a person. Um, Whereas these feel like there's a piece of that person in the piece, like the spirit of that person is in it. You know, so.
1: And I spent so much time with the pieces, like I'm so glad that you said that because, like, that's it. I want them to be part of the reason why I make quilts too. My first quilt was my grandmother. She was very ill and was gonna pass soon. So it comes from like that wanting, I want them back. So when I look at yeah. other black and whites, like I want them back here. And so it's like a longing that's in mm. it. And so you can you see it in it that I'm trying to like connect with the spirit of these people. And I'm hoping that they're looking and they're giving me approval to do them.
0: I believe they are because that's how it gets done. I mean, do you ever have pieces that you don't finish?
1: I had this one piece of a man. He's not in that. I don't think he's in that book. I don't think it was done yet. And his name was Emmett Scott. It was written at the bottom of the photo. And halfway through, I was like, John, to, talking to my husband, I was like, John, I don't think he wants me to do this piece. And it's not like I have a weird communication or anything like that. But his face looked so cold and disapproving. And my husband was like, look you came too far to, to let that piece go. You got to finish it because it was like halfway done. And so I finished the rest of the pants and he had like some random papers in his hand. And I was like, Oh, this is not really speaking to me. I'm going to put a newspaper in his hand. And I was like, well, this is the twenties. Let me put like a Marcus Garvey newspaper. Let me look up the title, stitch that on there. And after I finished it, I don't know why because I had Googled him and didn't find anything about Emmett Scott. And I put the date. But then I realized I had spelled his name wrong. It was E-M-M-E-T, not I-T. And when I put the right spelling, turns out he was Booker T. Washington's right-hand man. Shut up! (laughs) He had his own newspaper that he founded (gasps) in Houston. I think one of the first Black newspapers. And I felt like that disapproval was him. Like, I didn't do my research. He was a janitor who worked his way up to being a reporter to open up his own newspaper. Wow. So he's looking at me putting Marcus Garvey's paper <laughs> in his hand, the disrespect. But it was too late. It was already done no. when I found all of this. And you know, them old heads, they was ruthless.
0: I could hear him being yes. like, you going to put that nigga in my head. You know I did my <laughs> own paper. God damn it. You exactly. see this Marcus?
1: I would put Marcus. And I feel like Marcus Garvey and Booker T. Washington. I feel like they might have been on opposite sides of how we move ahead.
0: Because I feel like Booker T. was very respectability politics, and Marcus was very nah.
1: No, (laughs) we're going back to acting.
0: Black star line.
1: We out. We out. So that was the one time that I really felt like damn. And you said that piece is called Emmett Scott. It's called. I got to send you a picture of it. It's not in the book, but that man's name was Emmett Scott. And he was working with the Liberian Commission. So if he was
0: working with the Liberian Commission, then he might have been down with Marcus.
1: I don't think so, because what I read that I had to do my research is that the Liberian Commission had been in effect way before Marcus Garvey came on the scene. Emmett Scott was like older than Marcus Garvey. I see. And he was, he was the highest ranking Negro at the time who could speak to Woodrow Wilson about Negro affairs. So he was this respected man. And I just totally I think I dropped the ball on that one. Like I liked the way I did the artwork, but I needed to do more research.
0: Play as fuck up too, dog. Play us with them (laughs) too. It just be what it is. Yeah. All right. Our last piece.
1: Uh, We got to talk about Chadwick. Yes, Chadwick. So,
0: tell me about how this
1: piece came about. Yes. Well, Chad went to Howard with me. Y'all were there together. We were there together. We were not friends, so I was a. Senior when he was a freshman, oh,
0: yeah, you couldn't be friends no, you're a I senior. Couldn't.
1: there was no way, and I was pregnant senior year, so I was in this like mindset. I'm just here to do my work. <laughs> Thank you and good night like <laughs> i'm I'm here to get my grade, and then that's all I'm here for, and I'm leaving, where he would have been in the mode of like still chilling, hanging out on yeah, campus, like, right, but when he passed, I just felt so sad, like we had lost so much. What I did. Represent. I did a live
0: painting that night. Thank you. On, I came on Instagram and did a live painting that night. Uh, I had. I did not anticipate how. I didn't know him personally. Mm-hmm. But I, I. I did not anticipate the. Emotional response that I had to his passing.
1: Yes. Yes. It over.
0: It consumed me.
1: Right. A young man to pass like that at the height of his career and life and vitality, he was still the Black Panther. Like, that role was so fresh.
0: And he had also, I feel like, through film, given life to so many greats that are a part of our lineage in a way that no one else has. Like, he singularly has played, I mean, Jackie Robinson, Thurgood uh, Thurgood Marshall, James Brown... Uh, yeah,
1: James Brown. Yeah, and
0: get on up. And, wow. And there's others that I'm overlooking, but like yes. the prolificness of him being in that particular space, I feel like is is unique even to like Denzel.
1: Right. Absolutely. And the way, like his story, you know, how he was blackballed for so long because he didn't want to bend on his principles of how he felt a black person should be represented. Like that, I think about that all the time, even now, like when I'm having down moments or if some other (laughs) hater slips in there, I'm like, I have to remember that I have a higher purpose. And he talked about that in his commencement speech at Howard, how what God has set aside for you, nobody can take away. And I have to remember that a lot. I had to remember that recently when some things were going on with me that I felt that I wasn't being or wasn't going to be appreciated in a certain way. And I had to go back and like listen to his speech and like get those words and realize like you cannot stress over this or try to beat your head against it or force your way in. If somebody doesn't want to deal with you, doesn't want to work with you, that's not the only door that's going to exist for you. I mean, it's not like I'm saying don't try for things, but there's a certain point where you have to be like, maybe this is not that door and that I need to be still within myself. Keep trying, but don't lament over it just because you can't see what's coming right now. Dropping
0: gems. <laughs> Dropping <laughs> gems. I mean, I'm, that's a word for me. I needed to hear that today.
1: Yeah. It's hard, it's hard. And Chad, I wanted to put it all in, in that that portrait. He's wearing red and black robes. But in Ghana, when a young person dies, your sorrow and like your turmoil is you, you wear red and black to the funeral. And when an elderly person dies, you can wear white. You can wear whatever you want, but white is like you're accepting, this is a peaceful transition. But the red and black is not so much that he was in turmoil, but like we are. Right. And I wanted to put that green lush background around him so he could be, I call it forever because it was forever Wakanda or Wakanda forever. Mm -hmm. But then at his speech at Howard, he said Howard forever. And then that idea of the afterlife, like he will be in paradise forever. So it's also like a, a bomb for us not to feel sad that he's not suffering he's in this beautiful place forever
0: i mean what else do we say after <laughs> that <laughs> and there you have it
1: and there you have it forever and i'm so happy that the los angeles county museum bought that piece because i felt like that would be a good place for that quilt to reside so that people we worked with could come see it and um his wife did go see it when the show opened and i felt really really proud of that really really happy the last dose
0: well we are all proud of you Thank um, you. whenever you talk about haters i'd be like who's who's hating on bisa <laughs> oh they're always gonna be haters I mean, it's just, um, I really encourage everybody to set some time aside to just take a walk through your work. And I really appreciate you giving us some time to talk to you. And I can't wait to meet you in person.
1: I cannot wait. Thank you, Amanda. I am so thrilled to be here with you. And my daughters have been waiting for this moment. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Tell them I said what up. They don't care about anything else. They're like, did you talk to Amanda? Did you talk to Amanda? So I, when we get up, I will call them and say we find these folks.
0: Yes. Tell them I said thank you for the love and <laughs> um and for those of you all out there listening. Uh, so are do you have any exhibits coming up that people can go check out?
1: <clears throat> well, the Chadwick piece forever is still exhibiting at the Los Angeles Museum right now until okay. May, I think. It'll hang until May. And then I have a new quilt that's getting ready to be unveiled at the Perez Museum of Art in Miami. So that's coming up.
0: Ooh, an unveiling. Yes, <laughs> an unveiling. Very, very swanky. <laughs> we yes. love an unveiling, honey. Yes,
1: and I'm going to be speaking at the museum. I forgot that part. I think it's February 17th. So if you're in Miami... And you feel like going to an art talk? My husband is a DJ, uh, John Butler, so we do like a thing. I'll do a talk, and then he his music that he selects is related to the art pieces. So y'all better to- be a power couple. Yes, yes, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, rewind, Alexa. Yes. yes, yes, yes. That's <laughs> awesome. So there y'all
0: go. If you out in Miami, put your mask on.
1: Mask up. <laughs> Mine will be on And N95. They say yes. no more cloth masks. Damn, which is so
0: annoying because I really had a mask, like a really dope assortment of cloth masks.
1: Cute masks. <laughs> yeah, I made so many cute African I know you ma- did. They matched all my clothes.
0: I mean, there's also the world in which you can like wear the N95 and then you put the cloth over it and now you're like giving... But then you can't breathe. But then but you, you can't
1: breathe. But I'd rather I'm look to figure feel it good. out. <laughs> yeah, I may have to do that for Miami at least. At least that night.
0: I feel like if anyone can figure that out, it's you. <laughs> <laughs> do a chiffon, you know, a yeah. breathable fabric.
1: Yeah. Uh- <laughs> I gotta figure it out because this big white thing is just not giving. Mm-mm.
0: I mean, I have been seeing N95s in different colors. I saw like, uh, yeah, I saw some um, some tie dye ones. Um, oh wow! So you know, you come on, you you're Visa Butler. You got
1: it. <sighs> yes, Next thing you know, yeah. you're
0: gonna be like, and this is my unveiling of my <laughs> series of N95 quilts.
1: Oh my uh, god! <laughs> <laughs> I want African print n ninety Can't that be made? Why yeah. not? You can manifest that. That's, <laughs> yes. that's out there.
0: Yes. Thank you so much, Visa. And you, just best of luck and continue to keep giving us all of this incredible work that is coming intravenously from the ancestors through yes. your fingertips.
1: Yes. Thank you. I've enjoyed every minute of this. Ditto.
0: Star Bands podcast. a podcast network.